0: I've
1: never told this story to anyone. It took me a moment or two to realise what I'd just agreed to. The first mistake that I ever made in my life.
0: She said, I'm leaving Broome now, I'm coming to meet you.
1: The memory lasted forever.
0: Wanted young, dynamic people to join our dog sledding family.
1: All I know is that it was like a shockwave going through my body. Love is sexy, it's complicated, and it's joyous. Exposing your vulnerabilities to another person and expecting them to just love you as is is pretty tough and maybe a little bit unrealistic. Every now and then we make some really, really shitty choices that force two people, unfortunately often more, to deal with the consequences. You're listening to a podcast episode from Spun, a live storytelling night in Darwin. My name's Jess Ong, and this funny, honest story comes from journalist Nick Hose, who well and truly put all his love skeletons on show. I have to say that
0: there's no guidebook for dating a mergers and acquisitions investment banker. But there should be. This is what you need to know. It's nothing like the movie Pretty Woman. And as much as I would like to imagine that I was, um, oh, who was she? Julia Roberts. I clearly wasn't. And as much as I would like to imagine that he was Richard Gere, he wasn't. (laughs) The reality is is that investment bankers spend about 90% of their life at work in a building that federal law will prevent you from being able to go to. And because of insider trading laws, they'll never be able to talk about what they do at work. So, an enormous part of their life is completely unknown to you. <laughs> and on that note, we met a couple of hours before I turned 30. We'd been chatting on Grindr, which is an online hookup <laughs> app, for months. He had a picture of himself reeling in a giant barramundi. And I imagined myself to be that giant barramundi. <laughs> Every single time we were going to meet, I would cancel at the last minute. It was such a terrible habit. And so finally, we agreed to meet for a drink. Needless to say, we hit it off. And later that evening, as his head lay on my chest, we watched the clock radio next to his bedroom go from 11.50 to 11.59 to 0000. And he looked up at me in the dark of his Melbourne bedroom and said, happy birthday. And I said, fuck, I'm 30. (laughs) I was highly disappointed the next day when he didn't send flowers, call me, text. I was even more disappointed to find out he was still in the closet. Especially as I'd already planned our wedding, that's the thing the names of our first two children, our dogs, what breed they were going to be. Shall I tell you? (laughs) A sheepdog and a King Charles Cavalier called Teddy. (laughs) Somehow we stayed in touch. He was a little young to be made a vice president at JPMorgan Chase in New York And I felt a little old to be moving to Darwin to present the Macca's Hot Lunch at Hot 100. (laughs) From his corner office in Midtown Manhattan, overlooking Central Park, he would listen to me present the Macca's Hot Lunch. (laughs) And I would sit in a darkened little studio in Peary Street, overlooking the bins behind Uncle Sam's. (laughs) And he would send in little song requests. All the hits on Darwin's number one, hit music station, Hot 100. G'day Nick with you, taking you through to three this afternoon. Coming up this hour, your chance to score free Macca's hot lunch. (laughs) It was a little depressing every single day having to drum up the enthusiasm to give away free McDonald's. And play Taylor Swift songs, but knowing that he was listening, knowing that he was listening from New York did make it easier for me. We endeavoured on something that you may have done yourselves uh, called monogamous long distance and if anybody's done it, you'll know that it's fucking awful. (laughs) But you know, over time we discovered that phone sex wasn't that bad. And that Skyping in different countries and different time zones was, you know, like kind of manageable. But when I got a visa to the United States, I was really bloody happy to be leaving Darwin. A friend drove me to the airport uh, in his brand new hold in Calais. And I remember looking out the windows of his car at the palm trees on the Stuart Highway as they danced and wrestled in the breeze, going 70. And Because you can do that in Darwin. And um, my friend looked at me and said you'll never come back to Darwin. And I looked at him and I laughed and I said, I'll never, ever (laughs) come back to Darwin. When I arrived in LA, tired and jet-lagged, I saw this um, sensible man in a suit, handsome, dark hair, beautiful sensible shoes, sensible kind of haircut, And I kept staring, thinking, this guy is so good-looking. I'm going to have to actually go over and introduce myself. And then finally, the handsome suit looked up at me and smiled and said, Hi, Nick. Rodrigo had flown from New York to LA to meet me just so we could start our lives in New York together. It was the most romantic thing anyone had ever done for me, ever. If you were to drop a coin through the middle of this library, it would probably come out somewhere in Central Park, maybe not very far away from where we lived, on the corner of East 18th and Third. We rented an apartment off Diana Ross, and <laughs> true story we get her mail sometimes. I was very tempted to open it. <laughs> and for the first you know year, it was really like something out of her love songs. It was like my endless love, or even I'm stepping out. According to my Instagram feed, we led the perfect New York life. We'd spend our weekends in upstate New York or exploring the Chelsea markets or having brunch and we became connoisseurs of the Bloody Mary. Bloody Marys with vodka, Bloody Marys with gin, Bloody Marys with extra Tabasco or or bacon. (laughs) Just don't ever order a Virgin Bloody Mary, ladies and gentlemen, because that's a waste of good tomato juice, in my opinion, anyway. Our friends held us up as the perfect odd couple. They believed in us, and sometimes I feel like they believed in us more than I actually believed in us. Those differences between us were never more apparent than when we were at home. I would take these long, luxurious 20-minute showers. I would use every single conditioner and soap, face masks and I get water all over the ground. It would drive him crazy. And, and he would have these short, stoic, cold two-minute showers, like a hangover from boys' boarding school. I loved old vintage furniture, stuff that had funny smells that was pre-loved. He loved brand new black sleek appliances that came in polystyrene boxes. About a year into our time in New York, and those differences between us started to be less funny and maybe a little bit annoying, as can happen. And he got put in this really big business deal, which basically meant he wasn't home very much. And I became a really big fan of American football. No, not because I really like American football, um, but because it would play on the bars in New York, where I would drink alone because I didn't want to be alone at home. Or worse, at home alone with him, but feeling like I was alone. Anyway, uh, I guess in a way we'd sort of become comfortable in our rut, but we decided to soldier on and um, we decided that it would be a good idea for me to get a brand new visa so that uh, I could stay longer in the United States. So we enlisted the help of Morty, who was a semi-retired Jewish accountant in Staten Island and, and Morty would take a really long time to do anything and sometimes when we'd ring him, he'd sort of, you know, forgotten who we were. But anyway, it didn't matter. we stuck it out with Morty, we were loyal to Morty. I came back to Australia to go to the embassy in Melbourne and I spent a summer languishing at my mother's house. It was a little bit like opening up Pandora's box. One Sunday afternoon, bored, I downloaded Grindr, the very same app that I'd used to meet Rodrigo two years before. And as I went through the endless, headless torsos of men, I found him, a a chef, and... We decided to meet for a drink and then another drink and then another drink and before I knew it we were saying stupid things to each other like I love you. I guess he made me feel a little bit alive but um, it was a mistake. I flew back to the United States when I got my visa and I so desperately wanted to tell Rodrigo that I'd had an affair And, and there were so many occasions where I almost did And it was right on the tip of my tongue, but I thought, well, I don't want to ruin this dinner or or hurt his feelings or, or maybe now's not the right time. I couldn't find the right time. And then finally I made a bargain with myself that I wouldn't tell him. I figured that it would only hurt his feelings and I didn't want to hurt his feelings. And besides, our lives had sort of gotten better somehow and I felt like we really were as happy as we looked in our Instagram feed for real. And then one Sunday it happened. We were sitting at home listening to jazz when he says to me, we need toilet paper? It's strange, I thought. I don't know if we need toilet paper, but anyway. So he was gone for a really long time. And when he came back, his face was this colour of grey that I'd never seen it before. It was totally ashen. And he walked over to where I was sitting, opened up his laptop and said to me, how do you explain this? And I looked, and there on his laptop was a picture of me and my summer lover holding hands. How do you explain this, he said. My gut just absolutely clenched. I felt like I was going to die. I couldn't breathe. It was, it was the worst moment of my life. Like, people often talk about the worst moment. That was the worst moment. How do you explain this, he asked again. Well, of course I couldn't. And in a strange and sad circularity, he flew me back to LA, the exact place where he'd gone to meet me two years earlier when we were starting our relationship. And humiliatingly, he'd arranged for my mother to pick me up. I know, right? You silly duffer, she said. (laughs) But he wanted to make sure that I was okay, and I appreciated that. Rodrigo and I don't say, I love you anymore. Instead, we finish our phone conversations by saying, Bloody Mary. Because somehow, wrapped up in a New York breakfast drink, we're able to convey all the emotions that we can't say to each other in real life. Bloody Mary.
1: Nick shared this story at our event where the theme was uncovered. He now lives in Alice Springs, which is a far cry from New York, and he works for the ABC. This podcast episode featured sound editing by Rosa Ellen, music by Lashlo Hassani, and story production by Patrick Horton, with funding support from Darwin International Airport. If you want to find out more about us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, or at our website, spunstories.net. My name's Jess Ong. Thanks for listening.